Welcome to Pastor Potluck. I'm Court Green, and I am here, as usual, with Peter Constantian. And we have today a guest who I hope will be reoccurring. This is someone that I tried and tried and tried every single week that we had the radio show, Pastor Potluck, and have several times since we started the, uh, the podcast to get on the show. And finally, probably not because of me, probably just because of Peter, she finally acquiesced. Ladies and gentlemen, we have with us Methodist greatness. It is Nicole, Dr. Nicole Jones. Well, she will be. Uh, Nicole Jones, who is, I consider her a personal friend, and I deeply respect her um, because she's able to do a lot, and she's able to do a lot with four kids in the house, and um, she's, uh, she's just great, and you'll see why. You'll, I'll let her impress you as she has Peter and I. So um, I'm excited that she's going to be on the program and I'm going to let her introduce what she does because for the life of me, I haven't figured it out yet. I know she works hard and she gets a lot done. I've seen the results of it, but I don't know exactly what her job description is or anything like that. But Nicole Jones is with us. And of course, Peter is as well. Nicole, welcome. And please introduce yourself to our six or seven listeners. Hey, everybody. Thank you, Court, for that Um excessive and expressive introduction there. I am really excited to get to be with you guys and I was hoping to to get to hang out more when you're doing the radio show so I'm super excited about the podcast and uh, really love these guys and so it's just a joy to hang out today and talk scripture something that I've missed uh, when we were doing lectionary group together. Um, I was the pastor at Morningstar United Methodist Church in Canton for six years before I shifted roles and now working for the Smoky Mountain District of the United Methodist Church as their district vitality associate. So I get the pleasure of working with a lot of churches in our district and our district extends to the Tennessee line um, down to like South Carolina and Georgia too. So we get the Southwest corner of the state and uh, love it, love the mountains, love the people, love the churches. So it's, it's a joy. Um, everything looks a little bit different these days with social distancing and everybody scrambling to figure out what worship looks like, discipleship looks like, mission looks like. But um, it's something that is a wonderful way to see the expression of God coming out in creative ways in our congregations. I, I just want to jump in and back up court statement that Nicole is a local celebrity, uh, someone we all aspire to be like. Um, and I'm really glad to have you on the show, Nicole. I have a question based on your introduction. So you said you are a district vitality director. Does that mean that associate, you, man? Associate. I'm just helping out. I'm just helping. Does out. that mean that you keep the district alive? I do not have that authority or power. That is all God. <laughs> well, I mean, district vitality. I'm, district I'm here. I'm here. I'm hoping to keep things vital, to ask the questions, you know, to to come alongside churches and support them and doing what they do best mm-hmm. and okay. what God is calling them to do. And, to and y'all, have set, y'all have set the bar way too high. Y'all need to drop your uh, bar and expectations significantly for your listeners. Cause otherwise it's just kind of a bait and switch. Well, let's, okay. uh, let's okay. talk about what we got for the show today. Court, you got something in mind for today, uh, a surprise. I had originally called this wheel of controversy and okay. the first controversy started when I was trying to put together the activity itself. Uh-huh. And that is, that I could not find a spinner. I don't have, what's that game with the little dots or twister. I don't have, is it twister? I don't yeah. have that game and, or any other game with a spinner. And so 
I had to either go buy a board game that I'd never play or make one. Not, not happening. And so I changed it. So now it's going to be, they're going to pick one out of three and I'm, I'm including myself in they, and we are going to play, I guess, choose the controversy. It's a blind choice. I won't have to go last because I can see them. So it's not a blind choice for me. Okay. So um, what we're going to do is I'm going to, we're going to play this game, quote unquote, we're going to have this activity and I've got somewhat controversial verses and each one of the good reverends is going to pick one and only I know which ones they are. That's why I'm going last. So they will choose which one they leave me um, by attrition. And so we're going to let them weigh in on so, the controversies in these verses. Okay. So uh, are these from this week's lectionary? Yes, they are. They are from okay. this week's lectionary. I did not realize which one was an, is it alternate? Alternate um, reading. That's so okay. They might not be from the main lectionary if we're getting technical, but they are from this week's lectionary. Okay. I think we should let Nicole go first. I think we should. She's our Perfect. guest. The right thing to do. Are you ready, Nicole? I'm ready, man. All right. So I want you to pick between one and three. Number two. Number two is Matthew. 22 17 through 21 i will read it and then i'm going to ask you to, to a lead off question and then away you go matthew 22 are we all talking together yeah we're yeah yeah right. you don't have to you'll start you'll start and lead the con con conversation and then we'll go from there matthew 22 17 through 21 says tell us then what you think is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why are you putting me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. Then he said to them, "Those or Whose head is this and whose title? They answered him, The emperor's. Then he said to them, Give therefore to the emperor the things that are the emperor's and to God the things that are God's. Thus ends the reading. I think it's fairly obvious, Dr. Jones, Reverend Jones, who's, uh, what the controversy is there. Uh, you could really go a number of places. But for the purpose of just kicking off the conversation, talk to us about what this says about the separation of church and state or not. All right. Well, that's a great passage. Um, and I, I, I might have to go on the knot to start off with. Can I tell you what strikes me first? Yes. The motivation of the question, you know, like what motivates our questions? What mm. motivates our questions? Are we questioning? Are we bringing our questions before one another and before God, before people that we are uh, consider enemies or dubious characters, as I'm sure some of these folks thought of Jesus um, are we doing it to trap people? Is it because the, we already feel like we have the answers? Is it to use against them? Are our questions a mode and method of violence against others? Uh, or are our questions a genuine interest in knowing one another better and knowing God better and opening ourselves up vulnerably to, to receive um, insight and revelation from God and the Holy Spirit? Wow. I mean, even as you say that, I know that like my goal is always to to try to be open. I, I preach regularly on wonder, 
on, um, uh, you know, trying to allow for mystery, but you're right. Like, and even I find myself sometimes in my line of questioning, sort of fishing for a certain answer, an answer that I'm comfortable with. So what do you think the folks who are asking Jesus this question are doing here or what are they fishing for? <laughs> I, I feel like what most people or a lot of folks in the Bible, when they're asking Jesus a question, particularly those uh, of the religious leaders, um, they're, they're looking for a vulnerable place to set, set somebody up. Mm-hmm. So it was a gotcha question. I think, yeah. it, I think it's a gotcha question, but I also feel like sometimes it's a maneuvering, a political maneuvering um, to achieve power. If you have someone who has a large following and they can suddenly um, endorse whatever values or endorse whatever, whatever plans or, or procedures you already have in place, then it's a way of bolstering your power in a sense. So I think it's usually one or the other. Are you going to validate what I already do and already say, or can I set you up as somebody who is against us as a divisive measure? That's interesting. So like Jesus, I haven't thought about this, doesn't actually escape being a political figure. He is a political figure because he has sway. He has influence. People follow him. So you can't avoid that. But does he uh, avoid taking a political side in this in this issue of taxation, or how does he navigate that? I think the entirety of the statement is how he navigate his statement is how he navigates it, and I'll I I guess I'm going to step on Nicole's to- toes here, and, away, and answer the question that I, that I asked her instead of her answering it, and that is to. In, in calling forth the coin that they happen to already have on them, so they obviously didn't have a problem using them, he is essentially saying there is a separation between mm. church and state. There is God over here, and there's the emperor over here, and it's completely possible to live in a way that never the twain shall meet, so unless they're demanding says, worship the emperor. He Go says, ahead. show me the coin that is used to pay the tax, and they produce a denarian, which has Caesar's face on it. And so what does that tell us? I mean, I think it sounds like you're saying that because they have this coin on their person, in their pocket, which notably, apparently Jesus does not, uh, it means they're at least comfortable using this money. Uh, So then it's just the next question of whether they're going to give part of what they have of this money stamp with Caesar's face to back to Caesar. So you bring, right? up, you bring up an excellent point, and that is that there's almost, it's, it's, it's almost like there's not a choice. It's, it's, a, it's a scale. Hmm. So there's certain levels of church and state marriage that we're comfortable with. For instance, when we give the address of our churches so that people will come to them, we're generally giving a street address. Hmm. Usually that is a street that was built by the state. Mm-hmm. Okay, And so there's always some degree of marriage between church and state. The mm-hmm. question is, do we incorporate the state in our worship? And in America, we said no with the First Amendment. But, and I guess even before that, with the foundation of Rhode Island by a Baptist, just saying. Um, <laughs> anyway, so there, there, are, there are varying degrees to which we are comfortable with this or not. And Jesus seems to be, to be backing up that point 
And he does so in essentially saying that we all use this. It is obviously used and his face is on it. And we're comfortable enough with that, that we carry this money around and use it. So go ahead and give him what he needs, but make sure you're also giving God God's as well. So, so Nicole, the, the issue in this passage, I mean, the issue in this passage is uh, we've got the Pharisees and we've got the Herodians coming to Jesus saying, do we pay taxes to Caesar or not? I don't know exactly what's at stake here, but I mean, it seems like the Pharisees have a problem with paying taxes because they dislike the fact that Roman, Rome controls their part of the world. And the Herodians, on the other hand, kind of like, uh, you know, kind of actually like the, the benefits of Roman society. They're sort of more of like, I would say, assimilationists in a way, like there's a, the Roman economy is good for them. They support Herod, the king, who's a, somewhat of a puppet for Rome. Um, taxation is also a political issue in today's society, and Christians weigh in on both sides of that. And how much we should be taxed and for what reasons. Is it the same issue today as it was then, or is it different? Um, yeah, what do you think about that? Does this passage speak to today's issues of taxation? That's a great question. Uh, I think that we always have to be really careful when we try to transplant modern contemporary um, culture into the biblical world or vice versa, because there's so many nuances and there's so many mm -hmm. things that are significantly different where there, it doesn't, it doesn't transfer as easily. Um, I still feel like Jesus is, is a political figure, um, is, has a politics that are vastly different. And he's like looking at this coinage and looking at their concerns I, again i feel like have ties to power and control um whether it is independent power for their own nation state or a power that they receive through an assimilation model or um being in partnership with a ruling power but it's still not recognizing god's power so jesus with his money is like do whatever you gotta do you know tax if that's his if that's their thing do their thing but meanwhile he's the guy who goes and multiplies loaves and fishes that there's a different source of power there's a different source of of strength that comes through your relationship with god which is completely different political and power structure than is what is evidenced in this text by those who are to me are, are putting their their faith in something that is is um dwindling you know will not stand the test of time ultimately yeah so these pharisees are saying are, are maybe like hoping that he'll say you don't have to pay the tax but he I, it sounds like you're saying that jesus sees through their hope and realizes that the reason they're hoping that they don't have to pay the tax is because of sort of a scarcity mindset that, that there's not going to be enough. I want to keep my money so I can do things like pay my tithe, etc. Um, but on, but instead of saying, I support that you should pay the tithe instead of tax taxing or paying taxes to Caesar, what you're mentioning with this loaves and fishes concept is that there's this abundance in God's provision that, even you who are claiming to be religious in your resistance to this tax are not acknowledging. You're not acknowledging that God can give 
exceedingly abundantly more than you ask or imagine to borrow a line from Paul. Um, and so even in your sort of uh, ze uh, zealous desire to refuse to pay taxes, you're still not acknowledging God's authority uh, to provide in your life. Is that right? I think that's a great summary. Yeah, I think that hits the nail on the head, Peter. So the Pharisees are off about this because they, they feel like we only have so much money, so we don't have to pay taxes to Caesar. But the Herodians who say we should pay taxes to Caesar, um, are they wrong too? Or are they, are they more right? I mean, he seems to support them somewhat by saying you should pay to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. Uh, but this, this line, that the second part of the line, and to God what belongs to God, I think that's where uh, he really makes his point. So what do you make of that statement? um that he makes i think it means stay in your lane uh keep things in their lane so you you got it you got to take care of the state stuff so take care of the state stuff but you also got to take care of god's stuff so take care of god's stuff so but where's the lane end in god's realm yeah yeah what where i suppose in this case it would be wherever the caesar's head is that doesn't sound right <laughs> hey man you said it so yeah, so his statement is intentionally vague so that we ponder this, I think. Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and to God what belongs to God. So what belongs to Caesar? First off, that should be an easier question. I guess the money for for one, that's what he's saying they should pay to Caesar because it's got his face on it. Uh, but what belongs to God? In another podcast, they had mentioned about the image, how people are made in the image of God. So even Caesar falls under that authority, does he not? Mm -hmm. Yeah, God owns it all. I mean, is there anything? Is there anything? I think right now is a, is a direct inquiry into their theology, because you have people who are who both are putting up a taxation, who are putting up polit like earthly political power above that of God, they, they are in one way or another conceding to a person over God. Mm -hmm. It's a form of idolism, no matter what, whether they are in our adversaries and they feel like they have to push back against this political power, or if they feel like they need to feed into it or support it. Either way, it's still not recognizing that ultimate authority. Right. I think just calling out their theology he's he's asking them like who who is what what does this matter to you and why and why why is it so important and where is god in all of this well that's a good point i mean it's in a way um similar to that i, I can't remember who said this right now but uh there's this quote uh that the easiest way to deprive uh, people of their power is to pretend like they don't have any or to tell them that they don't have any and uh, we're so quick to assume that that we don't have any power and it sounds like in this situation what you're saying is that uh, by making this issue all about Caesar's power and Caesar's taxes we or we or I guess the Pharisees and the Herodians are both giving too much power to this emperor because actually when we take this step back god 
is the creator of all. So all authority ultimately belongs to God. Um, all power ultimately belongs to God. And uh, we are all created in God's image. Mm-hmm. And I feel like uh, Christians who have such a deep, a deep understanding of what you just said, Peter, are those who live such generous lives and that people see a reflection of Christ. People see glimpses into the kingdom of God through their generosity because they recognize that all power and authority comes from God. And so anything they have is not theirs. And I think we've talked about this before in lectionary too. And I have seen this come out of you as somebody who is very generous, who, yes, you, yes, Mr. Peter. Um, and that you do so in a way that makes a profound impact that uh, you yourself become a story for others uh, to, to relate to as someone who is generous, who is living um, a life of abundance because that abundance is coming from your security in Christ and not in this theology of scarcity that you mentioned. Right. It's not in the, it's not in the things that we have. I mean, let's, I mean, we're, we're in American late capitalism, if you want to call that call it that i mean we have too much stuff we have so much stuff and yet there's all that in like this this mentality of scarcity creeps in uh you know as far as percentage of um our overall in uh like income americans pay less for food than than pretty much uh any other place around the world our food is dirt cheap and yet what happens when there's a snowstorm or uh, or a hurricane or the power goes out or, or, a, pandemic. Uh, or, or a pandemic? There, people load up and they have to put limits on how many loaves of bread and cartons of fish and gallons of or cartons of sorry cartons of eggs, gallons of milk that you can buy because people are afraid, afraid that they're not going to have enough. Um, And I think that's what Jesus is addressing in this passage is he's addressing a fear of loss. And that's a real fear. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to brush over that. Um, People who have lost, lost jobs, who have lost family members, who have lost their homes. uh, That is a real sense of pain and it is a real struggle and it is a real challenge. And there is an opportunity for the strength of God to come into that place um, and, and provide assurance and comfort and hope. But I don't want, I don't want to pretend like, like it, that people shouldn't be afraid of loss or that loss doesn't hurt because it does. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's really, that's really where faith comes in and where by faith, I mean, relationship. I don't mean just an intellectual ascent. I mean, a daily relationship with Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. uh, a, a comforting presence of the Holy spirit, um, an assurance that God has created all things and will redeem all things. Uh, and so I think this passage on a deeper level is speaking to that sense and fear of loss. Wow. So I'm going to jump in here and say that if we take this long on all of them, we're going to be here for an hour and a half. So we're going to have to start hustling a little bit. Pay your taxes and move on people. There's a lot, there's a lot here, man. I could debate that scripture all day and there's so many more questions, but okay, fine. All right. So you're up next. Hit us with the next one. Pick one or one or three, Peter. Mm, One. One, Exodus 33, 18 through 20. Okay. 
again. That is Exodus 33, 18 through 20, which says, Moses said, show me your glory, I pray. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim before you this the name. The Lord, let me start that over. I'm, I'm reading terribly. Moses said, show me your glory, I pray. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim before you the name, the Lord God, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face, or for no one shall see me and live. And the Lord continued, see, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. I don't know why I ended it mid-sentence. I should have ended on, on chapter on verse 20. All right, so there we go. There's there's the verses. Controversies are really two of them that I saw jump out at me. Mm. The first one is um, when God says, I will show mercy on those who I'll show mercy, or I will be gracious on those whom I, to whom I'll be gracious and will show mercy on whom I'll show mercy. The implication being that others I will not. And the other one is, and this is the one I introduced the topic with, uh, you shall not, you cannot see my face and f- because no one who sees my face lives. And yet we constantly sing that we want to see God's face. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll let you pick. Which one of those do you want to speak to or both? I guess we could probably, uh, I do have something I want to say about the first one here, you know, because this is a question that has come up in Bible study too. And um we do not have a Presbyterian among us today. So court, you will have to stand in, in that regard as far as I am an Arminianist. I just want to throw that out there, but go ahead. Okay. So anyway, we're we're talking about maybe this can lead us this, this idea of God's um, ability to show kindness and compassion and mercy to whomever God chooses leads us into this question of the elect of whether some are predestined to uh well for lack of a better word heaven or hell Uh, although i'm not sure that that's exactly the language that we find in scripture Uh, but but this idea that god can accept or reject whomever god chooses and uh that's a that's a that's a that's an important discussion topic but i'm not sure that this is the right verse to use for it and let me tell you why Uh, because uh here we see that God says, I will be kind to whomever I wish to be kind, and I will have compassion on whomever I have compassion, whomever I wish to have compassion with this argument that like God chooses to reject some and to accept or elect others, uh, is this idea that like, um, that like he's obviously going to reject some people, but we don't see that here. Nope. You know, and I think throughout scripture and especially in the, in the, in the Exodus story, we actually see um, that God is constantly surprising us by how merciful God is and how willing to welcome and to forgive God is. And we see that even more so in the New Testament. And so uh, oftentimes people get hung up with these passages in the Old Testament about who, what is God like? Is God angry? Does God, is God a uh, God of wrath and punishment? Um, the answer is maybe, but when we get to the New Testament, as long as we are speaking from a Christian perspective, we acknowledge that Jesus Christ is God incarnate. And so it's much easier with the person of Christ to, to 
sort out or suss out what God's personality is like. And we see in the life of Christ that God is incredibly passionate, incredibly merciful, more, more so than we could ever expect. Um, and so I would say that the point of this statement is to uh, lock in exactly what the Presbyterians and those predeterminists are after by uh, protecting God's sovereignty. That is to say that God is absolutely free to do whatever God wants. And that's true. But I think if we want to look particularly at how God chooses to act with that freedom of choice, it's always more compassionate, more kind, more generous, more merciful than we could ever expect or imagine. So I want to jump into that. Have you guys read the book, My God and I by Lewis Smedes? No. No, tell us about it. You should. It's incredibly entertaining. It's just a, it's a memoir. But he was raised as a, um, I don't know that he was a Presbyterian, but he certainly was a Calvinist. And he, um, when he was a kid, he thinks, I, I got to figure out if I'm accepted or if I'm a reprobate. I got to figure it out. And, mm -hmm. and then for the rest of my life, I'll know. And that'll just govern how I live. Mm -hmm. So he decides there's only one way to do it. And he had been told that there's like one cuss word that's the worst of all cuss words. And so he doesn't want to, do it where it'll affect anyone else and so he walks out into the street and he screams it out gd it because you know he doesn't want, doesn't want to put a subject on it and 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 command that god damns a person specifically but mm. anyway so then he does that and he decides okay well god's angry and i have now done that so i must be a rep reprobate for the rest of my life how did he know that god is angry because he had he had been raised on that idea okay that was that was also in there but i didn't didn't mention it um so my point to bringing that up is a lot of people theologically they leave it at that they want to simplify it so so much wow. that they essentially have a, a similar understanding as him so as him as a child he ends up being an, an incredible theologian but um he but so they simplify God down to something that's easily understood and, and can fit on a bumper sticker. And so if you think God is wrathful and angry and, and out to get you, then it's easy for you to pick people's fears or pick people's sins and decide for yourself, well, they must be accepted or they must not be. And, and we want to know start making judgment values. What's that? Yeah. We want, we want to know. We want to know what side God is on. Correct. Does does God accept me? Does God reject me? Or how do I how do I know whether God accepts or rejects someone? I mean, if you if 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 we knew that, you know, it would be really easy to govern. You know, you could just separate the sheep from the goats and say, well, you're rejected, you're accepted. And the thing is, we see throughout Christian history. Let's be honest, like. Uh, Christian leaders making making that claim that they know or that they have a calculus for how to decide who's in and who's out. And it usually doesn't lead to anything good. So then then maybe the implication isn't that means God can choose, which of course God can, but it isn't that God can choose who to be wrathful against. That's not what we should imply from that. Instead, it's I get to decide who I have mercy on and you don't. Mm -hmm. Hey, Jones, why don't you weigh in? 
Yeah, I mean, it just got me thinking. It feels like it's just the same old eat the forbidden fruit over and over again tale. It's us stretching to want to know more than we're supposed to and why. Like, are we afraid that God isn't enough? Can we just let God take the lead? Can we have things that are unanswered and allow God to reveal in God's timing and be satisfied in a relationship of walking with God each day? Or do we have to be in control and create idols of our own self? Right. Yeah. Cause I think that's what you're getting at there is like, why do we want to know? Why do we need to know? Why do you need to know? That's what I ask my children. Why do you need to know? <laughs> yeah, it's about power. It's about control. Like if I know, then that puts me in the position of control. But see, the tricky part is, is that if you put yourself in the position of control, you're kind of making an idol of yourself, right? And because you're, you're usurping, you're taking God's seat, which is the seat of judgment. That's yep. just like just like she said, is you, you're eating the forbidden fruit. That was about trying to replace God, become more like God yourself. Mm-hmm. So uh, this is a, well, I want to get to the, the second half of this question about God's face, but um, I sometimes joke with Court that uh, he's a closet Methodist and I'm a closet Baptist. <laughs> or, or maybe I'll, I should be more specific and say that I'm a closet Calvinist because um, Calvinism gets a bad rap that it that it it is this concept that some people are just from before birth uh, reprobated or reject rejected from God's grace and some people are accepted but if you think about it you can go to either extreme uh, as long as you maintain God's sovereignty like we can assume uh, that God rejects some people and accepts other people or with the same respect to God's sovereignty, we can, we can assume that God actually rejects everybody, or here's where I stand, that God actually accepts everyone. And I don't know if that's true or not, right? But I believe that as a Christian, my responsibility in life is to treat everyone as if they were accepted by God. Right? Uh, why would God create something that God would not accept? Right. As our brother, uh, um, Reverend Gordon Pike says, I've never seen a person that God didn't love and create. Yeah. You know, and God, that God didn't create in God's image. Uh, tying back to what we talked about in Matthew. So, uh, so yeah. So, and, and I had a professor in college who, when we came up to this question, he said, here's the thing. It, we, we will never know where God stands as far as anyone's position in judgment uh, until judgment day. We may not even know at that point, but yeah. How do we live our lives? The ethical question. We must treat everyone as if they are accepted. We must expect that God will accept everyone. Um, because if we, if we don't do that, I think we're, um, we're giving up on people before God ever gives up on people. Which in a way puts us in, in place of God because we are the ones who are sitting in judgment of them not God. Yeah. I, one of my favorite movies is the Truman show. Do y'all remember that, that movie with uh, Jim Carrey? And I mean, it makes me wonder too, like if you wanted to just appeal to one's ego, like the world really does revolve around you. Mm -hmm. That if, that if God created everything and your entire life is a, a character development, character formation, and 
and God is just viewing and watching you, um, inviting you to, to live into who God is calling you to be. And the expectation is that you will treat everyone um, with the love and, and joy and sacrificial life that Christ poured out for us, that you would do the same for them. Um, no matter what, like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what anybody else does. What if, if you completely turn it, which is, you know, not something we usually do, but if you make it completely egocentric, how can you, how can you be most faithful to every single person you meet, no matter what, how can you love someone extravagantly? How can you be hospitable? How can you be merciful beyond anything to every single person that you meet, no matter what? And I don't want to get into like the testy waters of like, oh, God is testing me in this situation or with this person or whatever, because I think that gets a little crazy. But, you know, just to, to say, what if it's not about you judging others? What if everything is about how you respond in God's and allowing God to, to transform your character and your soul um, into somebody who is in a fit relationship with Christ by how you interact with every person you meet? Yeah, I mean, it- yeah, I think that's exactly how we're called to embody God's um, message of good news in the world uh, by by sharing that love with the abandon that we have re- with which by which we have received it. You know, that's something that my congregation hears from me a lot. Uh, you know, why do we extend grace? Because we received grace. Mm-hmm. What do we have that wasn't given to us? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and thinking, too, is when people irritate you, when there's something that, that makes you angry, like looking into our own selves and be like, why? Why does that stir up? What is that saying about me right now? Or what is that person reflecting back that uh, deep down I see in myself that I need to pray about or give to God? Or how is my response not Christian? What, what kind of work can God continue to do in my own soul because of my, my response, whether it's explicit or implicit in reaction to others around me? Uh, Peter, let's talk about God's face. Well, I was looking at this and I'm thinking, you know, it, it ties in really well with the the line before and in that, uh, you know, I think it preserves God's untouchable, unreachable holiness. Um, you know, I think what we've mentioned as we've been discussing the previous line about God's um freedom to to show mercy and kindness uh, is, is that there's a temptation amongst us as humans to consider God to be too personable, too um, replaceable in a way uh, with our own ego, with our own sense of right and wrong, with our own judgment. And so by God saying, you can't see my face because no one can see me and live. I believe that's a statement about God's untouchable holiness. Uh, Jesus talks about this in some of his parables in the New Testaments. For example, I, he says he says to a group of parents, "You know how to give your children good gifts. Would you give your child if your child asked for an egg? Would you give them a snake instead?" And so he he says, "You who know how to give good gifts, you who are evil, know how to give good gifts." How much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Now, when he says, when he accuses the people that are listening to him of being evil, is, it, is that a judgment? 
I don't think so. I think what he's saying is that in comparison to God's overwhelming and perfect goodness, everything else, by contrast, appears evil. And I think we have to remember that some days when, you know, we start to ask these questions, which I think are valid and we ha everybody has to ask them at some point. Why would God allow this terrible thing to happen? Why, why would God do this to this and such and such a person? We need to, we need to like preserve God's holiness and, and goodness and really check what, who do we think God is? right? Uh, be, and who are we worshiping, right? Because if we, if we think that like what defines God is God's dis decisions about who and who doesn't suffer rather than the one who is able to rescue us in the midst of our suffering at every turn, then I think we're worshiping power instead mm -hmm. of worshiping goodness. And that's where this is, this is, this is a useful verse to me because Moses asks, Please show me your glorious presence. And the Lord responds, I will make all of my goodness pass before you. Right. So God, God's self equates God's glory with God's goodness. Whereas we oftentimes in our questioning try more to equate God's power with God's glory. And I think that's just because we're power hungry people. Yeah. I don't know what else to say about that. Go. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> I think you've done an excellent job. God is good. And uh, if it's hard for us to wrap our minds around that, like, th I think that makes sense. Like, because there's, there's like, it's hard to find pure goodness in this world. But I believe that like the, the leap of faith that we're, that we're called to make is to believe that real goodness exists. Yeah. To, to believe that real love exists and to worship the source of that goodness and love, which is God. I have only found one person in this world who displays true, pure goodness like that. And I married her. And All right. Good answer, Corey. Yes. You listen to that, Chrissy. <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't listen. How funny is that? She's, she's not one of our fans. Anyway, um, but she is. She displays this, this pure goodness and trueness. And in doing so, um, she, it, this is not a complaint. I love everything about her, but it kind of makes me feel bad about myself hmm. because I'm comparing myself to that. Mm -hmm. And so I, everything you said, Peter, resonated to me in a different way mm -hmm. um, because in comparison to God, we are evil. In comparison to Christy, I am evil. And... <laughs> and that, well, and yeah, and here's the here's the clincher though. Both God and Christy know that <laughs> and accept me anyway. You know that's incredible. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, and I don't I don't worship her though. Right, right. But but obviously, like by the grace of God, we occasionally, through many mistakes uh, and uh, and errors. Are granted the opportunity whether we know it or not to actually express god's love in this world you know and um you know nicole you were mentioning uh you know how maybe i've exemplified this in the past like i didn't that wasn't like a moment where i tried 
to do that or like that I had all the power of love and whatever inside of me. It's like God gives us these brief moments. Yes. We might not even acknowledge that what we're doing is uh, is guided by God's hand, but uh, but it is. And people, other people that we, you know, that we may not even you know, remember <laughs> those moments will look back on those and say, you know, I saw God in that person or I saw God's hand or action in that person. Which is the practical side of what it means to be created in the image of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm going to use uh, images and the fact that in both of our scriptures, we have made the discussion at some point land on idolatry as a segue to go to the scripture that I wound up with which is the shortest, which is great, but it's the one we haven't talked about, which is not great. Uh, the rest of these we've talked about off of the air. Who talked about it? I think well, I was. Really those who haven't abandoned the lectionary group talked about it. Oh, okay. Everybody oh, wow. No, so, no grace. Psalm 96, 5. It says, for all the gods of the peoples are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. And the controversial side of this is that we do all have idols. And so I'm going to kick it off by this short verse with a long tail. Um, tail, not like an animal wags its tail, but like a long story. I don't know. Were we recording when we talked about my trip? I don't think so. Okay, so I'm going to have to give background. Uh, July 4th, two years ago, my brother died. And after that happened, I had an identity crisis that I'm still having because we're twins, we're twins. And so now what does it mean to be me without him being around? And so in the, I don't know if y'all can hear, there's somebody in our office and they're talking right outside my door. So you may hear some conversation. Anyway, so as we, as I was trying to figure out who I was, I had this intense desire to go bear hunting, which doesn't seem to make any sense, except that hunting had always been the thing that I shared with Zach. That's my brother. And this was something that he had never done. And I lived in the mountains and I'd done it a few times. So it was like, like my thing. So there's that part of it. And there's also the fact that it's really hard. So I was punishing myself physically and get some catharsis. I really, really wanted to do that. And then something happened. I had a falling out with a group that I hunt with and I just got so mad. Um, I'm not going to spoil too much of it. I'm writing a book about it, but anyway. um, Right. So I'll let you beta read it if you want me to. Um, We, we, um, we, we go through this, this last year. Uh, she just gave me a thumbs up sign. And um, I never got to do that. And so now I've got this trip scheduled, which is what we were talking about before, which I, I leave Sunday. And I'm so enamored with this trip. And I'm so obsessed with hunting bears with dogs that it's like become like the one focus of my life. Um, and it all comes from a, a, a place of, of need, I guess. Um, I guess I could get that some other way, but it, it's catharsis and physical exertion and finding my identity outside of him. Mm. And I was talking about this with a friend who is also a minister uh, in around us and he, he asked me a question and at first I was like ready to punch him because, and I'm not a violent person. It takes a lot to get me ready to punch somebody. 
I don't think I've punched but one person in my entire life. Um, anyway, he said, "How do the bears think? What do the bears think about that? About me punching them? <laughs> oh, about me being a pacifist? Yeah, um, I've never shot a bear either. That's what this trip's about. Anyway, so he said to me, "Have you made bear hunting into an idol?" Hmm. And I'm like, "What do you mean by that?" And he said, "Have you turned to it instead of God?" And mm. I said, "Well, I immediately discounted it, but I then thought about it later. I didn't punch him. I didn't yell at him or anything like that. We just kind of moved on. But I thought about it later, and in some ways, I have. Mm. Um, but I think that quick assumption that anything in your life that you look to that's not God is an idol is a little bit." Um, it's not nuanced enough because it's not like I haven't screamed out to God and it's not like I haven't cried out in anguish and, and, and anger and, and desperation to God. Mm-hmm. And there's this as well. Um, but we all do have things in our lives that we use as idols. And that is not to say that we worship them as if we say, you know, dear metal cup that happened to be on my desk when I have when I reached over to grab it thank you for holding my drinks you hold my drinks impeccably and I could not live without you it's not like that I mean I don't think it's wrong to thank your cup well that's that's between you and God Peter this is like um, the best moment of that cup's life right now (laughs) cups had some bad moments it it doesn't stand up straight because I've dropped it so much that it's kind of wobbly because the bottom's dented anyway it's not, but it's not like we take an object and, and elevate it in our minds to God status. Hmm. There are plenty of things that we look to for help. There are plenty of things that we look to for inspiration. There are plenty of things that we look to thinking, well, if I had that, my life would be better. Or if I had that, I would be more free. Or if I had that, um, I would be complete. And it's when we look to things to fill the roles that only God, that God wants to be the only one who fills that role in our lives, that's when we get in trouble. And so the, the Psalm speaks to people who are looking to other things to fulfill them. And so maybe there's a, my friend, his name's Benny, but my friend's statement, there, there was a, there was a twinge of truth to it. Maybe that's why it pissed me off so bad. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I do think it's more nuanced than just a blanket decision uh he is a he is a local pastor with whom i disagree and this i'm saying this because it's election season that's one of the reasons i like him so much because we disagree on most things theologically but we do still maintain a friendship and um and agree that we can respect one another so there's your lesson world that's right you heard Uh, it here first folks (laughs) what the preachers disagree no you can disagree and still be friends if they heard it here first we're in trouble they should have heard that a long time ago. I, I think I think we may be in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so there, there's my take on idolatry. Peter, go. I want to say on behalf of Nicole and I, I think I can say this on Nicole's behalf, and on behalf of our listeners, thank you for sharing that story because it's. Um, I know it's been like a, a really hard thing for you, and I, I also want to say that um, I, I think it's totally uh, normal to try to um, hold on to connection with people we've lost through things that we did together. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I see that 
all the time. And um, I think it's totally normal. And I don't think there's anything idolatrous about it per se. Um, but yeah, anything that like we do a lot of or that we spend a lot of time with has the potential to become idolatrous when we seek that thing to fulfill us in ways that maybe they can't. You know, I have, um, I had a relationship that ended um, before um, I got married. Uh, and I hope so. And it's so abruptly, uh, and it was like something that I was like really excited about. And, you know, she and I had been um, talking about the Enneagram, if you've all heard about that. Anyway, it's a personality test kind of thing that's, that was popular when I was in divinity school, and maybe it's still popular now. Um, but when she cut things off, as far as our dating relationship, I dove into the Enneagram so deep trying to figure out what went wrong, why it went wrong, what I could do differently in order to like, I don't know, win her back or whatever, you know? And I, I mean, I, I like, I stopped praying. Right. And I just started researching the Enneagram because I felt like that must be the key. That must be that that'll tell me what, um, is wrong with me that will tell me what I have to do now that will give me guidance that will give me an insight into the past I don't hear you saying that same thing about hunting um, uh, about hunting bears and, and it may be but for, you know for me I definitely noticed how that was an idol and I think that's a something that we need to take a little bit of time to explain to folks because um, you know we see this word idolatry in scripture you know, today we definitely have idols and make idols of different things, but we don't maybe carve them into little wooden statues and carry them around with us and actually pray to them. Mm -hmm. uh, but we, we definitely do create idols um, that, that distract us from the, the only one who is able to actually guide us and give us direction and answer our prayers. And it's easy to do. Yeah. Right. And, or how have you seen that? Um, you know, what is an what is an idol today in your opinion? I feel like an idol is something that obscures your vision. So it, that takes up so much space in your life that there's no room for God and God's spirit um, to accompany you through through life. So the other week um, I had flashes in my eye. I think it was like, it was either maybe a, a retinal migraine or an optical migraine, something I've never had before. And it was flashing so much for about 15 minutes that it actually obscured my vision and I was losing vision in my right eye. Wow. And That's terrifying. Yeah, it, was, it was pretty, pretty strange, pretty strange experience. But um, my point is, is that because that was happening, it obscured my vision and it started to affect what I was able to do in, in life. I feel like when we allow things to take such a prominent role, especially when we're talking about idols, when we are talking about sin, when we are take, talking about things that uh, obscure our vision, that, that allow us to drift away from God, that allow us to, to lose focus on God, it affects not only us, but it also affects how we interact in the world. Um, it can be a distraction, um, but it can also be dangerous. And so um, being able to find ways to refocus, um, to, to gain clarity, again, I think comes down to relationships. So inviting it, and that's maybe where some of the spiritual disciplines come in. It's intentionally setting time aside 
um, intentionally incorporating practices in our life to, to bring clarity, to connect with God, um, every day and as much as much as you can not just like I have my devotional time in the morning but what are practices that I can have more of in my life so that I can stay focused on God and that there's nothing else that is going to run the risk of obscuring my vision and taking me out of the game and when I'm looking at the psalm you read court I mean we have such a limited amount of time on this earth um, we have such limited time and it is so beautiful and there's so much beauty and good that Peter referenced earlier in our discussion. Um, what, why wouldn't we want to have an opportunity to just praise God all the more? Like, like why it is so important for our souls, for who we are to, to glorify and praise God there's an opportunity to thank God for so much. And if we can keep that at the focus, if we can enter into a, a spirit of appreciation and gratitude all the time, man, what a good way to live. And I'm not there. I wish I were there, <laughs> but what a good way to live, to be able to praise God and have a spirit of gratitude every day, regardless of circumstances. Yeah. Uh, and I think, you know, what, what this conversation would be helped by, um, in, in Protestant spaces, we don't have um, a real uh, developed concept of iconography. Uh, of We don't have icons, per se. We don't uh, contemplate the lives of the saints. Uh, like Which they is do. not the same as idols, everybody. I just right. <laughs> icon well, and idol, two different words. <laughs> right, that's where I'm going with this. Uh, in Catholic and Orthodox churches, uh, there is an understanding of the distinction between an idol and an icon. And mm -hmm. here it is simply uh, with the icons uh, and in the, the ancient Christian practice of contemplation, uh, what we do is we, we kind of try to see through an image, right? So if I'm taking the, the, the image of a saint um, or of, of somebody we know who had saint-like qualities. For instance, if I look at a picture of my grandmother, who I respect a lot and who I miss a lot, to look at that photo iconographically is to, you, to allow that photo to remind me of the ways that God worked in and through her life, the ways that God's love and mercy were expressed in her life, which increases my uh, adoration and my gratitude towards God. Yes. Whereas idolatry is when I um, put onto the image of, of a person or an animal or um, a personality test, the power that ought to be only attributed to God. Mm -hmm. So it, it becomes, uh, instead of seeing through the image, we see only the image and we, we, um, forget uh, to acknowledge the one who is who is a creator of all. Uh, and so, yeah, so I hope that on your hunting trip, that in the, in the woods out there, in the forest, in the presence of very scary bears and uh, very real danger and physical exertion, that all of those things will remind you of God's uh, incredible creative power, beauty, strength, um, and, and love for you. Uh, and, and if, and if it does that, if that's the experience that was, that, that comes out of that, then I think that your orientation to that experience is not idolatrous. It's iconographic. Yes. 
I agree. That's why I disagree with Benny. But yeah. <laughs> again, I don't want to do too many spoilers because then, yeah, I won't, I won't ever get published. So, well, this has been a really great uh, conversation. I feel like perhaps we are getting to a close here. Is that um, one public service announcement that came from this trip? So, to fly to Maine, you have to have a COVID nineteen test within three days before you arrive oh, wow. at Maine, and it has to be negative. So here's the public service announcement. I got a public, I mean, I got a, it's not a public test. I got a, I got a COVID-19 test yesterday. Be safe and be careful so that you don't have to get tested because those sons of guns hurt. Okay. It they was go painful. all the way back in there. Oh, oh y'all. I, I did not have such a bad, I did not have such a bad experience. You oh my gosh. They shove that thing all the way behind your eyes and blood rushes down your throat. Oh, it's horrible. Friends, go get tested. If you feel I'm not you saying don't get tested, tested don't if get you don't tested. need to. <laughs> if you have symptoms, get tested. I'm saying be safe and be careful so that you don't ever need to. Yes. The three W's. Wear yes. a mask, wait six feet apart, and wash your hands regularly. There you go. And get tested if you feel like you have symptoms or have been in contact with somebody who tested positive. Yeah. There's PSA. Well, friends, I want to close us by reminding us that we don't have to agree on anything, although I've really enjoyed the uh, the conversation that we had, which I really didn't think was a, at any way, at any point, an argument, but I've learned so much from the two of you. And uh, I want us uh, to continue that in our lives. And uh, so I'm going to encourage you both with the words from First uh, Thessalonians chapter one, verse three, which is also in the lectionary. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy are writing to the very newly formed church in Thessalonians, and they say that we thank God for all of you when we mention you constantly in our prayers. This is because we remember your work that comes from faith, your effort that comes from love, and your perseverance that comes from hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of God, of our God and Father. That is to say, and that's the end of the quote, but that is to say that, that faith, hope, and love are something that as Christians, we do well to put into living practice. And I think we've touched on a, a few ways in which we can do that in this episode. And so I'm so grateful for the two of you. Uh, blessings to each of you, and I look forward to... Uh, speaking with you again and Nicole to having you on the podcast again at some point in the future. Thank you all so much. It was such a blessing to be with you today. I love you guys. I really appreciate the time to hang out and to, to talk scripture. It's one of my favorite things, talk scripture with my brothers. Uh, Thanks, we Nicole. love you too. And I've certainly enjoyed having you on here and Peter, I enjoy you being with me every week. Yeah. All right. Well, until next week, this has been another episode of Pastor Potluck, the podcast. Uh, grace and peace.